0: The 41st chapter of the prophet Isaiah is the text this morning, beginning at verse 5. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 5. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. You'll find his book just to the right of the Psalms. And the 41st chapter beginning at verse five. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They've drawn near and have come. And each one helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. So the craftsman encourages the smelter and he who smooths metal with a hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, saying of the soldering, It is good. And he fastens it with nails that it should not totter. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, to whom you whom I have given from the ends, taken from the ends of the earth, And called from its remotest part and said to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now in the passages that surround this text, God is doing what He loves to do. And that is to to call His people to compare Him with their gods. And He says, I want you to get all your gods together and all your philosophies and compare those gods to Me. And in light of the impending doom, because judgment and destruction was imminent... It makes this matter so crucial. Now, Israel has already fallen to the Assyrians, and Judah is being threatened by Babylon, who is rising as a national power. And God is saying, in light of the coming destruction, in light of the impending doom, how does your gods, how do your gods stack up to me? At the point of deliverance and your salvation and your help, how do your gods stack up to me? God's not afraid of the challenge. Have you ever noticed how Americans have begun to communicate with one another? We like to think that we have kind of have places where we're isolated to one another. So we communicate to one another with bumper stickers and t-shirts. You ever notice how these messages that we wear on t-shirts? A guy was telling me last night that somebody showed up in a class he teaches last week with a t-shirt that read, you can make me go to school, but you can't make me learn. (laughs) Strong message, I guess. Somebody said he saw a t-shirt that read, don't bother me, I can't cope. Now that may be how some of you feel. Is that the way you feel? And as you walk through the day, you just wish that nobody would come up and lay any more trouble on you. You've got all you can bear. And you'd just like to say to them at arm's length, please don't lay any more problems on me. I can't cope with the ones that I have. Now chapter 41, God is telling us how to triumph over adversity or trouble. And he is describing how two different kinds of people deal with adversity or hard times. And in verse 6, he describes how the world deals with adversity. And the first thing the world does is try to bolster one another up. You know, I mean, be of courage, the world says. Be strong, be a man, get a stiff upper lip. Have you ever, been, have you ever tried to be comforted by the world? And everything that's involved in that comfort is so shallow and empty and meaningless and it, and it affords such little help. You know how it goes, don't you? You're gonna fail that exam. You're gonna fail out of Southeastern. You're gonna, you, you, your guy just broke his engagement. You just got a bad lab, lab report. You can't pay your bills. I've come with some good news. I'm gonna help you, brother. Cheer up. That's a lot of help. And he says that's the way the world tries to deal or to cope. It tries to bolster one another up. And when that doesn't work, he says in verse 7, we start looking for other gods. This god didn't help me, so I got to find me another. This philosophy of life didn't give me any encouragement. I've got to adapt another philosophy. He says, everybody goes to the silversmith and says, smooth me out another God. And everybody goes to those who beat gods out on anvils and create gods on anvils and says, good job, make me another God. Then God says, with biting sarcasm, you better be sure of this kind of God is nailed to the shelf with nails because when I shake the foundations of the world, that God's going to topple off. And how absurd, with biting sarcasm, he shows how absurd it is to try to cope with the world's problems, with the world's resources. And then in verse 10, he describes how to triumph over trouble. Now, there are some of you this morning who may just say, well, pastor, if you just tell me how to survive, that'll be enough. I mean, triumph, if you'll just tell me how to cope, that'll be enough. Well, he tells us in verse 10 how to triumph. And if you'll notice verse 10, there are two I am's and there are three I will's. And he gets the order in the correct order. for Before you can understand what God has available and what God will do, you have to understand who God is. And he gives us two I ams and three I wills. And what he's saying in essence is, you aren't so you can't. I am so I will. And before he can help us, he has to get us into a position to be helped. In other words, before we can understand God's help, we have to understand our helplessness. And before we understand that God can, we have to understand that we can't. And so God says, you can't, you aren't, so you can't, I am, so I will be not afraid. Somebody said that there are 360 times in the Bible God says, don't be afraid, one for every day and an extra one for New Year's, for leap year rather. In other words, God is saying, you don't have to be afraid because I can provide your need. Now, this is a two-point sermon. couldn't get a three-point sermon and a poem. Well, I got two points, and they're long ones. No, not really. Now, I want to deal with the I am's, then I want to deal with the I, the I will's. First of all, the I am. I am with you. Do not be afraid. Where does fear come from? Well, fear comes from what is seen and what is unseen. Now, that just about covers everything. And sometimes the things that we can't see frighten us more than the things we can. And sometimes the things that are out there we can can see are less frightening than the things out there that we can't see. And so God says, when you face life and the darkness, and you don't know what's out there, and when you face all of these things that are so threatening, don't be afraid because I'm with you. Are you easily frightened? I mean easily intimidated, Marjorie Goff was. She was 31 years old in 1949 when she went inside her house and didn't come back again, come outside again until she was 61. In 1949, she went in and shut the door of her house and didn't come out again for 30 years. Well, to say she didn't come out at all is not really true. In 1960, she came out one time to visit her family. In 1965, she came out to have an operation. And in 1975, there was a lady who was living with her dying of cancer who was crying for ice cream. And she went next down the street to a little convenience store and got her ice cream. But for 30 years, she lived shut up in her house because she was afraid. And I suppose that if a psychologist hadn't gone to her house and worked with her for two years, she'd still be holed up in that house. You say, well, that's an extreme case. No, it isn't really. One out of nine people who sit in this auditorium who live in this world have some kind of phobia. Some people are afraid of malls. After being in several this last week, week, and I'm scared to death of them myself. I, I, when I get my bill, I really will be afraid. Some people are afraid of freeways. I heard about a guy who was so afraid to drive the Los Angeles freeway, he had to drive every day that he put his hand outside the window and hold on to the top of the car and steer the steering wheel with his right hand. Some people are afraid of suspension bridges. I know of a guy who, a truck driver, who won't cross the Chesapeake Bay Bridge except in the trunk of his car with his wife driving. One out of nine people have, uh, have some kind of fear which makes fear the number one mental health problem among women and the number two among men. I suppose that all of us have some kind of fear. And there is a little bit of there is a lot of encouragement in God's word when He says, Don't be afraid, because I'm there to hold your hand. Now I suppose it's common for children to be afraid, but I've noticed that children are not afraid when the one they love and trust the most is near. It does matter who's close by. It's astounding what you can remember from your childhood. I remember my first trip to the doctor. I don't know how old I was. I suppose I've been there before, but I remember this one. I was involved in an accident on the farm where I lived. A, a wagon ran over me. Luckily, it ran over my head. <laughs> and, and my parents got me in the car. I really wasn't hurt, but they rushed me to town eight miles, and the doctor had his office above the drugstore. You remember way back my when, when Moses was an RA back there. They had the doctor's office above the, above the drugstore and they took me in this room. I remember it vividly and there was the doctor and the nurse and I, was, I must have really kicked up a fuss because I remember the doctor saying, go tell Buck to come in here and Buck was my dad and dad came in and his presence made all the difference in the world that day for me. Somebody said, I'd rather walk in the dark with Him than to travel alone in the light. Let me ask you this question. What is there today that distresses you and disturbs you and frightens you? Would you still be afraid of that if Jesus were here in the flesh? I've got good news for you. He is here, just not in the flesh. And it dispels that philosophy, that Sheldon's In His Steps philosophy. You know the one, he wrote that bestseller book, In His Steps. He said, what you need to do is find out what Jesus would do if He were here, and then just do it. It's built on three false assumptions. The first false assumption is that we can always find out what Jesus would do. I'm not sure that we can always know what Jesus would do. He was always doing the unexpected. It's built on the second false assumption that you could do what Jesus did or would do if He were here. I'm not sure we can always do that because Jesus loved His enemies. I'm not sure I always can. And Jesus always turned the other cheek. I'm not sure I always can. The third false assumption it's based on is that Jesus is not here. I've got good news for you. He is here. He said, when I leave, I'm going to send the other Jesus and he's going to meet you on the road and when he meets you in that intersection on the road, he's going to turn, he's going to go the rest of the way with you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. The second thing he says, the second I am is this. He said, I am your God. So don't look anxiously about you. And the implication is to stop looking somewhere else for help. He said, I'm your God. Don't look anxiously about for help. And it exposes a tragic but true fact, the unwavering tendency of man not to trust God. Now listen to me carefully. I've said this over and over, and I'm going to say it again because you, haven't, you don't believe it yet. Man will not trust God until he has to. That's why the West Texas rancher said when the church called for prayer in the midst of a terrible drought, when he heard that the church was calling on prayer for rain, he said, has, Has it come to that? I mean, are we in that bad of shape? Are we that desperate? You see, man has an unwavering tendency to lean on every cobweb available before he'll lean on God. We sing the song, and I love the song, and I'm thrilled every time it's sung, lean on me. But let me tell you something, it's easier to sing that than it is to do it. In 1889, we've been singing this ringing gospel song since 1889. Scripture, he quoted it in the letter The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. And as he wrote that letter, he he got the idea for the song. What a fellowship. What a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms, I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. I'm going to tell you it's easier to quote that and memorize it than it is to live it. Now let me ask you, how do you know when you're leaning on God? Well, you just fill in the blanks of the first honest impression that comes to you when I make this statement. If everything caves in, if everything caves in, I will. You fill in the blank. Isaiah said that a person who trusts in the Lord is like a tree that sinks its roots down into that unknown stream and draws its moisture from the stream beneath. And It doesn't matter how hot it gets on the top. So what God is saying is this. I am your God. You don't have to look anywhere else for help to cope. That leads us to the three I wills. Now, the order is correct, and I alluded to it just a moment in the introduction. You see, you'll never know what God will do until you know what God is. And you'll never understand what God is willing and able to do until you understand what God is like, see. And when you understand the I am, it's a whole lot easier to get the I will in perspective. And when you understand the I am then what happens, how God acts, is okay, see? Now, we've already discovered the I am. Here are the I wills. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my right hand. Now, I will strengthen you. The construction in the Hebrew, trust me, is that he is suggesting a coming conflict And it is true that God's people are not exempt from conflict. You need to know that up front. When you accept the Lord into your life and you put your faith and you lean on God does not mean that that's an immunization, that's a vaccination against conflict. It doesn't mean that at all. There is a coming conflict. A number of years ago, Simon and Garfunkel, if I had a name like, Garfunkel, I, I think I'd change. Simon and Garfunkel came out with this song, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. It, it was the number one song. It was a great song. Some guy was, you know, some religious guy thought, well, I'll change that and make it a religious song. And he did. And he changed it like this. God is a bridge over troubled waters. The only problem with that theology is it's wrong. God's not a bridge over troubled waters when they came to the Red Sea, he wasn't a bridge that spanned that. He's a, he's a path through the water. And when they came to the swelling tide of the Jordan that was, that was out of its banks and flood stage, he wasn't a bridge that spanned the water. He was a path through it. God is not an exemption from conflict. I was scanning this audience this morning to see if she were here. I was sitting one day reading my... I don't think she is. I was sitting one day reading my quiet time. When, and I was reading from Isaiah where he said, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the river, the waters will not overwhelm you. And when you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. And just as I had finished that reading... My telephone rang. And Ken Washburn said, did you know that Paul Oliver has leukemia? And I, they just got home and I thought you needed to know that. And so I got in the car and I went out to where Paul and Melba live. live Paul lived. And I'm thinking to myself, this dear godly man that so we all love, How am I gonna, what am I going to say? And God said to me, you tell him what I just told you. And when I got in the living room, I, I picked up the Bible, their Bible, and I opened it to that verse I just read, and I read it. Not if you pass through the water, but when you pass through the water, I'll not overwhelm you. And not if you pass through the fire, but when you pass through the fire you will not be burned. Now, when you come to the conflict, remember this, God has already promised He'll make you tough for it. That's what the word means, strengthen. And what God is saying is this, I'm going to toughen you up before the conflict comes. And God will never allow you to enter into any kind of adversity that He has not already toughened you for. Are you listening to me? And so Liza Wade came up to me. You remember old Frank? Big old hulky guy. Weighed over 300 pounds. Always sat right over there. Died of a heart attack in Paris, Arkansas. And Liza came up to me and she said, Brother Tidwell, for weeks, Paul's, uh, Frank's father has been ill. He's, and we've been going back and forth to be with him. And he's like a father to me. And, and, and he's so precious to my, my children. And, he, and she said, I didn't know it, but what God was doing was that through the, de- through the illness of Frank's father, he was preparing me and my children for Frank's death. Now, what does it mean? How does a soldier get get toughened up for the conflict? He gets toughened up for the conflict in boot camp. And what God is saying is this. You just know that these little, these struggles that you're going through in life, I'm just using them to toughen you up for the tough times. And when I was pastor at Iowa Park, Texas, I, I pastored a military church and. I had a lieutenant colonel in my church, one of the leaders, a f- fine man. One day, I'd been there about three weeks, the telephone rang on Saturday morning. He said, Pastor, I need you to talk to my son. He's about nine, year old, nine years old. He said, his dog died. I need you to talk to him. He wants to know if that dog's going to be in heaven and all that kind of stuff. I hung up, and I'm thinking, now, they didn't say anything about that in seminary. <laughs> oh, and <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, to be totally honest with you, I'm thinking to myself, now, there's gotta be something more important to do than Saturday morning, than talk to a kid about a dead dog. And, 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 I, and I, But you know, God spoke to me in my heart, and this is what God said, a true story. He said to me, Gerald, these c- things that come in life are the way I'm toughening that little boy up for life itself. Now, you help him to understand that my grace is sufficient for this little sorrow that's so big to him so that when he gets out there in life, really gets tough, he'll be tough for it. You understand what I'm saying? This has been a bad week for some of you? Then you just know that God is using that to get you ready for the real battle. Second, he said, I will help you. And the idea is that he will help you in the midst of the battle. Listen to me carefully. And the word means to surround or to to encircle, really. It means to circle around. And what he's saying is that when you get into the battle, just know that I surround you. And the psalmist said, like the hills that surround Jerusalem, so God surrounds and protects those who love him. Isn't it? I love it. He said, when you get in the midst of the battle, you just know that I'm, you're surrounded with God. And when the time, when the adversity begins to really get tough and you can't cope, just remember this, that I encircle you with my help. And so when the devil came to God and was debating with God about Job, the devil said to God, he said, you take down that hedge and Job will curse you to your face. I don't know whether you miss it or not. I find some comfort in the fact that he has a hedge around us. And I, have some, I find some comfort in the fact that the devil can't touch me, nor can anything touch me that God doesn't permit. And I find some comfort in the, in the fact that, That if anything gets through to me, God will have to open the door for it to get there. And I already understand what God is and what God is like. And so I know that he's not going to let anything happen to me that will destroy me. He encircles me with his life. Then he said, I will oppose you. Now the word is, listen to it. It means I will see you all the way through to the end. I'm not going to get you out in the middle of the stream and and abandon you. I'm not going to put you in the fire and then run away. I'm not going to allow you into the conflict and then I'm going to desert and turn tail. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to see you through this. That's what he means. And this is how he says it. I'm going to see you through because I've got you in my righteous right hand. Don't miss a word of this. The right hand is the hand of authority and power. And he calls it his righteous right hand. And what he's saying is, I've got you in my hand of authority and power, and whatever happens to you will be right for you. Where are you right now? You say, well, I'm sitting in this sanctuary, wishing I were home. No, let me tell you where you are. You're right in the right hand of God. You're in his right hand. And he said, I'm going to keep you in my right hand. And I'm going to see you all the way through this. And so Isaiah says, as God speaks through Isaiah, now you compare me with other gods. Where are your gods? And where are you with your gods? If you name any handicap or any medical condition or any life disturbing situation, you can probably name a support group that relates to that. There's are support groups for every situation in life. I read somewhere the other day that there are half a million support groups in America serving 15 million people. There are support groups for folks that have cancer, there's are support groups for folks that have heart disease. There's are support groups for folks that have skin problems. Believe it or not, there's are support groups. And the names of these support groups tell a little bit of what they do. For example, the Candlelighters. That's a support group for parents who have children with leukemia. There's Pill Anon. is a support group for families and for people who are addicted to mind-altering drugs. There is Mended Hearts Anonymous. You know what that is, don't you? Mended Hearts Anonymous is a support group for those who have open-heart surgery. There is Phoenix, the Phoenix Society. The Phoenix Society is a support group for those burn victims. There's Empty Cradles Anonymous for those who have lost little children. Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, on and on and on it goes. I want to start a new support group. My support group is going to be called the Right Handers. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be right. You, you, you can't be in it if you're left-handed. It means my Right Handers, that's the group that understands that they are in the right hand of God. Are you listening to me? That's the support group that this church ought to be. That's the understanding that we're in the right hand of God. Now, there's some of you this morning just need to realize where you are. And when you realize where you are, you won't be as nearly as frightened. And there are some of you this morning who need to crawl up into the right hand of God and snuggle down there and understand that God will see you all the way to the end. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'll help us today to crawl up into the hand of God. Nestle down and snuggle down and be secure. Lord, help us today to throw our roots down into the subsoil, to the river that runs beneath the earth, and draw our help from the great I Am. Because I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Now look here. I'm going to ask you this morning in the early service, one child came place his faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to do the same today. If you've never done that, Jesus said that I am in the Father's hands and you're in my hands. No one will pluck you out. I am going to ask you this morning to get up out of your seat. Come and take His hand, and let Him save you, let Him hold you, just place yourself in His hands. I want to ask you to come this morning, if you've frightened and intimidated in life, to begin to live your life in the hands of the Lord. Take yourself out of your own hands, put yourself in His. Maybe you need to come and join this fellowship of believers. We invite you to come. Our song is, Savior, like a shepherd lead us. Much we need thy tender care. While we sing, the choir sings it. We invite you to come on the first word.